What's up, everyone? What's up, Fight Fans? This Monday, I believe May 9th, 2016, this is the Monday Morning Analyst. I gotta change the name of this podcast because it never comes out in the morning, but another challenge for another time. Thank you so much for watching. My name is Luke Thomas. I am the host of this series. Um, podcast exists in three parts. We break down some technique. We look at the overall technique and results from some of the action over the weekend, look at something in particular, a little bit of slides that we have, and then in the third segment, look at what's coming up next. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get to it right away. There were uh, two major events this weekend, Invicta 17 and uh, UFC Fight Night 87. I don't want to get too much into Invicta 17 except to say uh, Tanya Evinger retained her title, but really um, a shout-out needs to go to Angie uh, Hill, Angela Hill. What, what a tremendous performance she put in in becoming the uh, Invicta Strawweight champion. Really, just her striking looks so crisp. She has clearly worked on um, her scrambling, her defensive wrestling. Her cardio was tremendous. Even her defensive jujitsu, I thought, was really, really spot on, or, you know, as good as it needed to be. Uh, submission defense was there. Like, just, just such a talented fighter. She's really come a long way. You know, she got her start in the UFC for most fans' impressions, you know, uh, that was the early part of her career, but she's only now coming into her own, and I feel like if you watched her in the UFC and you haven't seen her in Invicta, you just don't know her anymore, so shout-outs to Angie Hill, phenomenal job, congratulations to her, and um, a well-earned victory on Saturday night. Uh, okay, on Sunday night was the bigger of the two events. It was UFC Fight Night 87. Again, UFC Fight Night Overeem versus Arlovsky, UFC Rotterdam, whatever you want to call. UFC's debut in Rotterdam. USC's debut in Holland, really. Uh, the attendance, 10,421 for a gate of 1.5 million. Not bad. Decent showing for a fight night card. Um, the main event, Alistair Overeem taking on Andre Arlovsky. He wins via TKO, jumping front kick, and punches at 112 of the second round. So what do you say about this fight? Um, you know, Overeem is not the same size he used to be, but I feel like he used to want to physically impose himself on opposition, and that cause some defensive lapses in his game. That is not the case anymore. He is much more diligent. This fight played out in a way that I thought it would. That of the two, Overeem is able to play at different ranges than Arlovsky. Arlovsky can play at different ranges a little bit too, but not to the same extent. There really is a bit more versatility in that regard. Um, what's interesting about this fight was that it ended with the jumping front switch kick and then the left hand that dropped Arlovsky, and it happened back-to-back. -back. What's funny was if you go back and you watch this happen in the Dos Santos fight, too, the best offense that Overeem had did not come from Orthodox. It came from Southpaw. But when he landed the jumping front switch kick, that happened at Orthodox. Um, and it happened in a way where he throws the jumping front switch kick, starting from Orthodox, almost shifts to like a square stance, then does it. And I think what happened was because Overeem had been at Southpaw throwing the body kicks and then also throwing the outside right leg kicks. I think Arlovsky was sort of like uh, expecting that. But there was this, you know, he just, he, he, there was a dynamism to the weapons that um, Overeem uses that, you know, Arlovsky's got a really big punch. He's got great boxing and he's hard to hit. And he's got great takedown defense. Although there was that one trip that outside trip that Overeem was able to land. But for the most part, I think what you're finding is that um, Overeem's just really, really such a clever guy. He's much more patient. He's got, he has got he uses guile and smarts now. And he still has that ferocity. I mean, you put away uh, Arlovsky in the second round, but I just mean the cleverness, you know, he, 
I don't think Arlovsky was ever expecting any shot above his guard. And for it to come from the right side stance, which during that fight there was really no offense from, um, was just a tremendous way to mix things up, to really to be very unpredictable. So great, great job by him in that regard. Uh, in the co-main event, Stefan Struve takes on Antonio Silva. This ended at 16 seconds into the first. What do you say about this? Silva marched forward, ate a, a bunch of shots, and um, Struve banged him out. Like... Silva's lost four of his last five. Of those four, they've all been in the first round, and they've all happened via strikes. You know, everyone has their own ideas about when a fighter should retire, but there is enough evidence to conclude at this point that his ability to take a shot is compromised. For Struve, it's a good confidence builder. Still a young guy. We'll see where he goes from here, but that's all there is to say about that. Uh, Gunnar Nelson defeats Albert Tumanov. What a fight. Via rear naked choke. Uh, 3.15 of the second round. We're going to look at that in the second segment, so I'll pass on it for right now. Uh, Jermaine Duran Demi defeats Anna Elmo's TKO knee to the body and of course a punch she followed up with 346 of the first you know you get stuck in uh, Duran Demi's clinch and there's not a whole lot you can do you saw when she got clinched up I'm sure that it's really hard to get out of it but I didn't see a lot of clinch breaking action out of Elmo's she was scared to level change because she didn't want to eat a knee so she kind of stood there and put a hand out to block when you put a hand out to block or put a leg up like she did Duran Demi just has any number of different targets. They can bring knees up the middle to the face, to the side. They can pull you and turn you to get your hands to go different places. And she did all of that. So eventually it ended against the fence. Uh, Elmo's had her right leg up. And so Duran Demi just drove a right knee, not merely up the center, but around in the center. And uh, that dropped her. And then she followed up with some punches. Easy fight for Duran Demi, but um, nevertheless kind of important. Nikita Krylov defeating Fransomar. I don't know how you pronounce his name properly. They called him Bahos. It's spelled Bahoso. Uh, submission rear naked choke at 3.11 of the second round. This was a weird fight, right? Because, look, Nikita Krylov keeps winning. And I picked him to win this time, mercifully. Uh, mostly because he takes risks in ways that Bahosa does not. And so I thought that he would eventually, through just being proactive, overwhelm him, which is more or less what happened. But, look, Krylov still got drilled a bunch of times walking forward. It doesn't move his head. He's obviously got a tremendous chin and can take an awesome shot, so good on him. But, um... I don't know. Like, you saw that one sweep that he had. It was a decent sweep, which you'll find that Nelson does when he gets takedowns is he secures position right away or he establishes conditions so that before it gets to the ground, he doesn't have to worry about that. But in any event, um, uh, Bosa never really sort of, like, solidified position. So the sweep was okay. It was good presence of mind, but it wasn't all that technical. Um, and then the, the choke was weird because what you'll see in the Gunnar Nelson fight is when, when Nelson gets the choke... It's not merely that he just puts pressure here. He he brings the chin in and and contorts the neck a little bit. It's a twist on the spine just a little bit and there was none of that with Bohoso. I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he had a pre-existing injury. Maybe Krylov has a tremendous squeeze. You're all going to get so bitter at me cuz I'm cuz I'm sort of undercutting a little bit of the guy's win um even though he's, you know, on a tremendous win streak. I'm just trying to bring everything back to earth if I can. So obviously it's a great win. And again, if you can get away with it for the most part, it's okay. But um, I still see some red flags. But that's just me. Uh, Carolina Kowalkowicz, uh, or Kowalkowicz, however you want to pronounce it, defeats Heather Joe Clark. I'm going to call her Double K because my pronunciation is probably horrendous. She wins 29-28, 29-28, 30-27. She also, 
Um, this was a great fight, actually. It was the only decision on the on the main card, but nevertheless, uh, Heather Joe Clark, you know, she had her moment. She had that one nice double under takedown, which she did opposite to the side of her, which is where you want to go. You, you usually want to go at an angle, and you can go if you can turn the corner really quick on a dime. That's even better. But she didn't. She never really established position when she got down there. So Double K was able to get back to her feet very quickly. So that was one problem, and you know she just kept pouring on the offense to the point where she was able to just react to some of the poor decisions that Clark was making towards the end of that fight. But you know Clark had her moments. I thought Clark was really competitive with her early, but in the clinch just didn't have a lot of dynamism. Um, and then again, as the as the fight wore on, kind of lost the more disciplined approach she was employing early that was getting her to win. But you know uh, credit to Double K as the fight goes on, she gets stronger. Very hard to do. Her cardio was there the whole time. She gave that wink ahead of time. So strong performance for her in the women's strawweight division. We move to the prelim card here. Ruslan Havilov defeating Chris Wade. Uh, Chris Wade having his moments in this one, but Ruslan Havilov just a little bit ahead, especially once they got to the mat. I thought he had a little bit better grappling, although it was pretty competitive. You know, it wasn't like Wade was totally out of his element. But if that's going to be your calling card, if the ground is going to be where you win your fights, um, you know. You're gonna and and this is as far as you can go with that. Then there needs to be some things that change, as a consequence. Uh, Magnus Seaton Blad defeated Gareth McClellan. Uh, TKO head kick and punches. 47 seconds of the second round. Whatever. Josh Emmett defeats John Tuck. Split decision. 29, 28, 28, 29. I actually thought Emmett won this pretty cleanly. What do you say about Emmett? Um, uh, I thought listened to his corner impeccably. Had uh, obviously was clearly in good good shape. Um, Really nice boxing combinations. He had Tuck reacting towards the end of that fight, similar to the Clark fight. Um, you know, Tuck had his moments here as well. It wasn't like Clark or uh, Emmett ran away with it, but I just thought he landed the better punches. I thought he landed the cleaner punches. I thought he was the more consistent guy. And again, you know, I don't know what Tuck's corner was telling him, but I could hear Emmett's corner really well. And you know, you you could just see Emmett listening uh, uh, in a way that was, uh, I think, you know. Uh, Moving to victory. Uh, Reza Madadi taking on Jan Cabral. He wins via TKO punches. It was actually an uppercut that did the whole thing at 156 of the third round. This was a lot of wrestling against the fence. Good job by Madadi in avoiding most of it, including singles and doubles and resetting the position. And then the guys would sort of strike their best that they could. Eventually, Cabral marches forward and then marches right into an uppercut from Madadi. And then he actually doesn't go down. Um, Madadi just finishes him standing, but even then he was like not even not even leaning. He was just kind of kind of standing upright, but it was clearly out on his feet. A heavy uppercut. So fight wasn't that great, but good job by Madadi in doing something to push the action along. You move to the preliminary card for the USC Fight Pass portion. Wow, what do you say about this guy? Kyoji Horiguchi defeating Neil Siri 30-26 and then two 30-27s. Horiguchi was just better everywhere. I don't know what to say. Better on the outside. Just unbelievable timing coming in. Mixing things up with takedowns. Passing to side. I will give Siri a lot of credit. I thought his hips were active underneath the whole time. You know, I don't know how much he was able to get going with it, but he could at least create scrambles or threaten arm bars or do something to make Horiguchi, you know, slow down a little bit. But that's all he could really do was make him slow down, not stop him. Horiguchi just uh, a, 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 a terror. It's a shame that he got that Demetrius Johnson fight so early because you can see with a little bit of maturation, he's going to be a handful. He is a very tough customer. He can do it all, strike on the inside, strike on the outside. Cardio's phenomenal. He can wrestle. He can pass guard. Um, yeah, 
Kyoji Horiguchi is a phenomenal talent. This was an incredible win. Credit to Neil Siri for never quitting. And again, I mentioned, once he gets on his back, you know, Neil Siri's hustling the whole time. I kind of really admire that. Even though he was technically outmatched, he wasn't outmatched here. And uh, I will always respect Neil Siri for that. And again, you know, he's got a little bit of guard work going. And, you know, I like his guard work because he constantly gets his hips off the ground. And um, it didn't work necessarily, but it was it was a real effort. Just, just Kyoji Horiguchi... What a, what a talent he is. Uh, Leon Edwards defeated Dominic Waters. He didn't miss decision. This was sort of a weird fight. And then Oka Sasaki defeating Whoopass Willie Gates. We are naked choke at uh, 3.30 of the second round. Not really to say much about either of those. Uh, performance of the night goes to Alistair Overeem, Stefan Struve, Gunnar Nelson, and Jermaine Duran to me. So the three Dutch people and then Gunnar. And there was no fight of the night. Okay. With that out of the way, let's talk about Gunnar Nelson. We're going we're gonna to look at his fight in the second segment here. The thing to pay attention to is, yes, the striking early on was going well for Gunnar, but that's not why he won this fight. He won this fight because his jiu-jitsu is phenomenal. I talk about it all the time. Mount is a lost art in MMA, and he's, his is not. It is outrageously good. But more than that, the developments in his game, from the chain wrestling to the innovation of the submission that put uh, Tumanov away, that's what really counts here the most. What a performance from Gunnar Nelson. Still some issues about the cardio. You could definitely see him slowing down that second round, but it didn't matter because he was able to get the job done. So let's take a look at Gunnar Nelson and how he beat Albert Tumanov in the second segment. All right, here we are. So let's take a look at the mighty, mighty Gunnar Nelson and see how he won this bout. Now, you see we're going to start here at 424. I'm not going to go into every small striking exchange. Suffice it to say, uh, Gunnar got the best of the striking exchanges early. I think as the fight wore on, Tumanov was making some necessary adjustments, staying out of some of the things that Gunnar was catching him with, um, beginning to land body shots. He really the left hand rip to the body. Tumanov was doing a really good job of as time went on. Um, and, of course, the the body kick across the, the belly of... Um, uh, Nelson was landing uh, as well, but um, early on, Nelson was having his way. Nelson was going uh, left to right, right to left, not merely with his stances, but his hand combinations. This is just one example of what he was doing that I think is really good. So you can see here, um, Tumanov is actually marching forward. Nelson's bouncing in place. What you're going to find is they're going to, you're going to see Nelson uh, take a step back, basically. Um, Tumanov still marching forward because that's the movement. And we're not talking like marching him down hardcore, but certainly moving in that direction. And then you see he bounces forward, but what he's going to do this time is he just sticks his right hand out, but the right hand is never really aiming at anything. It's, he's not even making a fist. At first, it looks like he's trying to parry it, but I've watched it a number of times. He might be trying to parry it. I'm not saying he's not, but he mostly is just sticking it out as he blitzes forward to get this reaction from Tumanov, to open up that hand, to push out. You notice Tumanov, look, he's got everything in a loose but uh, you know a firm guard here, he can block if he has to. As Nelson leaps in, that hand comes out, so why? So he can crack him upside the head with that. Uh, and he was actually doing that left to right, right to left. So he, this is one combination where he throws the right out, then lands the left. He had done the opposite just previously. So this is just one example of the kind of success that Gunnar Nelson was having earlier. It's not a full representative, but just to let you know that, you know, I, I knew that Nelson had a major advantage on the ground, and I thought Tumanov had an advantage in the standing, but truth be told, early on he didn't, maybe he had the ability after he made adjustments, but Nelson kind of always stayed in his face and never really let him do that. 
So we keep going. Now, again, this is that body kick across the, the, the belt line, essentially. The, the, I mean, he doesn't have a gut, but the gut area, the belly area um, of, of Gunnar Nelson, that landed. You could see it landed with authority, and there was a giant red mark across his stomach as a consequence. So Tumanov, you know, had his moments as well. This was one of them. Um, he had another one where he had a nice rip to the body. You can see here, this is just after it lands. Um, you know, 410, still in the first... First minute of the first round, so both guys trading back and forth. Uh, Nelson definitely getting the better of it, but Tumanov having his moments. This is another one, just a, 20 seconds later, Tumanov ripping a nice left hook onto the solar plexus here as he backs up Nelson against the fence. So Tumanov was game, you know, no doubt about it. All right, so here comes the first takedown attempt, maybe how, how, how much longer later, but about a minute later, you see Nelson get in. Now look, Tumanov's got a... Uh, essentially his forearm and the clavicle here. He's got his elbow inside of his elbow. I can't quite see on the other side. But you notice Nelson doesn't even have his hands wrapped here. He doesn't have a gable grip and he doesn't have a C grip. He just has one on top of the other. Uh, hard to tell in real time, but that actually in retrospect is the dead giveaway. If he was trying to have his hands grasped together, that means... It's not that you can't change takedowns that way, but grips tell you a lot about what someone's doing. If they're really trying to suck their hips into you, he's trying to go for one kind of body lock that he's really committing to. The gripping tells you what you're committing to in, in a lot of different ways. The fact that his hands aren't grip here should should have, I mean, it's, again, in real time, it's very hard to tell, but should tell you a lot. So, uh, because he's trying to keep things open, you'll see. What the difference for me for Gunnar Nelson was in this fight is the chain wrestling the chain wrestling is everything george nelson is uh, george nelson george st pierre is the king of chain wrestling i talk about it all the time one of my favorite examples from his fight with tiago alves he goes in for a double tiago alves reads it coming a mile away rips st pierre off the hips st pierre is expecting to have his initial double ripped off of tiago alves's hips and as as he is being pulled up off the hips and legs, he times a perfect knee tap. Left hand under the armpit, right hand to block the outside of the knee, turns him in a corner. This is not a knee tap, this is an outside trip, but it's the same kind of thing. And what does this tell you? It tells you that Gunnar Nelson is not merely making his wrestling more sophisticated in some kind of abstract way, but what you're going to see here is the timing of something like this is what makes it work. If your timing is not perfect, it doesn't matter if you know how to do these things in slow motion or whatever the case. Like I know, and you know, I can pull this off in the wrestling room on an opponent who's resisting. Your timing in a fight has to be perfect. He's got to have a really great feel for the position, which is exactly what he does. And you notice when he trips. Now, I'm not saying you can't trip someone straight backwards, but it's much harder. It's always when you want to trip someone in a circle to a side, right? So you see him here again. Look, no grips. Right, just kind of has his hands around here. And as you see, that outside leg here of Nelson starting to stick to the outside. He's going to turn um, Tumanov like in a circle like that. See how he goes around? Boom. And you can see. So go real quickly back. Look where Tumanov starts. Tumanov starts here. Hips facing this way. Nelson comes out and around and then brings him down. Now... When he brings him down, you'll see Tumanov has his underhook. He's going to put a left hand, I think, on the shoulder. I'll look here in a minute. And he's going to use one of these legs to try and roll him over to get back to his feet to create a scramble. Not going to work. Let's find out why. And you see, by the way, Nelson, securing position, uh, has his weight down, his hips low. is looking to pass right away. But you see Tumanov goes to his back. 
has this underhook, has this knee here. I believe this is the one he's going to use. He might use this one. This one at least is blocking the hip a little bit, right? Like a butterfly guard. Right, so you see him lift here. So there it is. The hands on the shoulder. He's got the uh, uh, overhook here, and he's going to lift. So why doesn't this work? Well, a couple of reasons. Look at the position here. His hips, Tumanov, his hips and shoulders are basically still on the mat. Now, his hips are kind of a little bit off. He might be pushing here, but it, he's just lifting him up. He's not really lifting and turning, like really rotating all the way through. you got to get up off your shoulders, man. And that's going to be hard when someone has this kind of an underhook. And by the way, a black belt like Nelson, I guarantee you, is really good about spreading his base out and keeping his weight down on your knee. Probably also staying high enough where, look, if Nelson's weight was closer to the foot, there'd be more of a a, a leverage. Uh, there'd be a different kind of fulcrum being involved here where the leverage of the closer to the instep could really drive him over. But you see Nelson's a little bit higher on that. Nelson's probably shoulder to face here. I can't quite see from this angle, but you can get the idea. So it's just a couple of things going on. Nelson knows how to ride a position like this to stay out from just from a sort of a biomechanical standpoint. And also, you just don't see the kind of lift off, you know, really getting that turn, that explosive off of the shoulders bridging that you need for something like this. And also it has to be at an angle. Going straight back, you have to explode through. You could do it at an angle if you were, like, if he was using this butterfly and then blocking this arm, that would be different, right? If he could block the outside here, use this butterfly to lift and turn him this way because he's already got the arm blocked. But he's kind of going straight back. Doesn't really work that well. And you see what happens is, look how, look at the, look at this. Nelson driving weight down. He's, Tumanov's off of one hip, but he's kind of only on the other. Um, and you see him just look how high up he is in the knee. He's not, he can't quite get that lift here. If Nelson was lower, he might be able to lift, but Nelson's real high, weight driving down. It's just not going to go. All right. So he's, here he is trying to control, got one hip, one arm around the hip, semi cross facing here. Look, live toes. Look at that. Live toes, live toes, weight driving in. This may not look like a heavy position. It's a very heavy position. Not so much on your sternum, but just on your ability to get weight underneath and behind you. That's what he wants, right? He wants to get his hips out and behind him, and he just can't do that here. So we keep going. Um, they kind of scramble forward. You see again Nelson covering him. Um, this is when Nelson begins to, I believe, yeah, you know, this is the beginning of the pass. So here's what he does. He uses his left leg to step over and around. Now look at this. Um, I believe that's what he does. I can't quite remember exactly. Anyway, do you remember the pass, the leg weave pass that Conor McGregor used on Dennis Seaver? This is basically halfway of the same thing. And I bet you this weave pass is something Gunnar Nelson is really good at that Conor McGregor has also gotten good at as a consequence of training with someone like um, uh, Gunnar Nelson. So he's halfway here. He's... Again, it's hard to tell from this angle, but you can see he's got a knee on the inside here. He's on top of this one. From here, you can do just a lot of things depending on what the other person is doing. You can slide to mount. You can step over and pass to that side. You can step over and pass to this side. The world is your oyster here if you know what you're doing. There's so much you can do when someone is on a side and their dominant, oh, I should say their outside leg is uh, weighted down by your hips and you have their inside leg controlled from essentially re-establishing position. You could re-guard here if you could slide that out and around, but it's hard to tell if it's being blocked here. Again, so watch what he does. Puts his, look at his head, driving his weight down, trying to keep his shoulders down. Nelson uh, essentially tripods up. Now you can see, good job to an extent by Tumanov putting up, uh, something up to block him, but again, look at what he can do here. He can, he can Essentially, if you wanted to, he could wait him out and step over. He could take this leg and step out and around. And you're going to see that's exactly what it does. You see this back right leg of Nelson. He's going to bring it up, and he's going to bring it on the inside of this little triangled space here. 
which you can't quite totally tell, but he's got his weight down and he's got his his right excuse me left leg on the outside. Just real quickly, one more time. This right leg is going to come out and around. It's going to pin the right leg of Tumanov down, which is what you get here. And then he just slides to mount. So you see, it's like a halfway. Oops, it's a halfway leg weave pass. He's halfway there already. Tripods up, brings that left leg out and around, uses that to sit on the outside leg. Now Tumanov has basically what, what happens here is both of Tumanov's legs are being sat on and pinched together. So all Nelson has to do is as the hips go flat and the shoulders go flat, all he has to do is just slide up and he's already in mount like that. He just slides up. From here to here, he's just sliding up. The only difference is from here, Tumanov's on a side. But once he goes flat, he just Nelson slides up, and then he takes him out. Now he takes him out from here. He bangs him out with a number of elbows. You guys saw that. Just one thing I want to show you here: when Tumanov tries to bridge, he makes a classic mistake that a lot of people make, and they make a lot of people make it because one, they want to conserve their energy. So in one sense, it's not a mistake because it is. You don't want to burn yourself out trying to you know forcefully you know scream your way out of mount. You know there's technical mount escapes, and if you feel like you're not very close, you don't want to use a lot of energy. Okay, fair enough. But one of the things he does is if you go back and you watch, whenever he tries to bridge out of mount, he always goes to the same side. He goes to the right side. A lot of times, what guys will tell you is especially if someone really heavy on top of you and they're the same weight, but I mean someone who knows how to use their weight, you have to go side to side and maybe side to side to side. You have to go right shoulder, left shoulder, right shoulder. You have to create room. If you go to just one side, A, you're predictable, and B, um, um, it's easy to stop because it's just one side you're having to do that with. But I want to make a note here. Look at this picture here. This to me is like frightening. Uh, and maybe to the layperson, uh, it, it's not that frightening. Here's Tumanov trying to get to his shoulder, trying to get to that right side. This is his left shoulder. This is Tumanov's left ear. What do you notice about Nelson right away? Number one, this leg is up to keep himself balanced. Number two, the instant, and I took this as fast as I could, this picture, the instant Tumanov gets to his right shoulder, Nelson brings his right knee and collapses the space. He brings nothing there's no space here behind the small of the back of Tumanov. Nothing. He is trapped under ice here. This is what I'm talking about. When, you, when, you, when people are like, oh, what are the finer details of controlling Mount? Mount is a lost art in MMA, except when you're Gunnar Nelson, who has a, a frightening Mount. He keeps open space here uh, just so he can balance himself. Now, Tumanov could have essentially brought his knee inside if he was really gifted about it, but, it, but even then, Nelson could block with a hand or come back down. But I just want to show you what he does on the right side. He sinks this space. So number one, if Tumanov decides to just go belly down or roll to his knees, if he's really strong, he can sink the hook right away. The hook's already there for him. And number two, he can't go side back to side to then create space because as soon as he goes to a side, Nelson doesn't leave an opportunity for Tumanov to go to the other side and then create space. He collapses it all, which is probably why Tumanov was like, you know what, maybe I'll just go back down. Now, there are ways around it. You understand that even when someone does this, I just want to point out, though, that Nelson wasn't leaving any openings for Tumanov to say in his mind, oh, gee, this is no problem. I can just go side to side and get out of it. Nope. He collapses that space, drives his knee to the inside of the small of the back, of Tumanov closing off all avenues. That is scary, scary, scary stuff. Guys are who do that, when you feel someone on top of you doing that, you know you are in major, major trouble. So that's round one. Let's take a look at round two here if we can. I'm going to blow this up. 
All right, here we go. Round two, at distance. You notice Nelson switching sides. Again, the striking was kind of interesting. I thought Tumanov actually did pretty well in the second round, staying out of some of the blitzing of Nelson. Um, but it, in the end, it didn't really matter so much. But you here you see him standing at distance. What I really want to focus in on is the takedowns. We've seen it before. It's not just chain wrestling. It's chain wrestling and attacking the legs with tripping. I feel like you saw... Uh, Misha Tate do that against Holly Holm very effectively, and you're seeing Nelson do it effectively here. You know, you, I can't really wrestle you trying to squeeze in on a double. You're going to stuff it, but maybe after that, I can just get a leg in behind you and trip you, especially if I've got really excellent timing like Gunnar Nelson does. So you see here, switches sides, right? Because he was standing one side, switches now to the orthodox side and uses that to shoot. He's going to shoot in for a double, and look, Tumanov catches it. Tumanov catches it right here with the underhook. Not going to matter because it's not really the double that Nelson is after. Look at that. He's got a super strong wizard here driving his weight down. But it's not going to be enough because that's not the takedown he really cares about. Here's what he cares about. And I'm sorry this picture is a little blurry, but you get the idea. He's got the wizard here, left hand here kind of on the fence. Left arm is here. Now watch that right leg of, of Nelson come around. That is what you want. And look, he's upright at this point. He's upright. He thinks he's in the clear because he's upright. Look, oh, I'm Tumanov. I got, I got, look, I got, I caught the underhook here. Bang. I'm good. Pulling him up, pulling him up. See how he's wrenching him up with this wizard? Pushing him up off of his in, uh, hand on the face, pushing his head up. I'm, I'm, I am riding his posture. I am pulling him off of my hips. But it doesn't matter because he's got that trip going. And remember, Nelson's keeping his feet moving the whole time. They're in motion this whole time. These are not static positions you're trying to force someone through. That motion makes the takedown a little bit easier to come by. So, outside trip, and again, falls to an angle. Look at that. One little quick note. Wrestling coach one time told me, always make sure if you have a takedown on someone, and there are exceptions to this, like, I don't know, you know, uh, sacrifice throw or something. But, you know, for wrestling takedowns, for the most part, whenever you land, make sure your hips are facing the mat. Whose hips are facing the mat? This guy, Gunnar Nelson. Hips facing the mat. And of course you can see here, he hasn't quite passed, but this is not much of a guard here um, that's going to matter. He just simply hops out and around. He has an underhook to control to prevent him from turning up and standing. Uh, you, saw, you saw this weekend a lot of people get takedowns and they couldn't finish him or hold them because they would get the takedown. Let's go to you know Double K versus Heather Joe Clark. Heather Joe Clark had a nice body lock trip, turned her, pulled her down, but simply didn't control once they got down there. Gunnar Nelson, you see how his weight is always on top of the shoulders uh, and the top of the sort of the chest and up of Tumanov. It makes it hard to get anything really going once you get him down there. Uh, okay, so here we go. Tumanov is pressing on his far hip here. You can do this for a little while, like a semi-knee shield, not really. You can do this for a little while, but not for long. Anyone who's really good is going to break this. And they're going to find any number of different ways to break this. We'll see how Gunnar Nelson does it. But this is a really bad spot for Tumanov. Tumanov thinks he's pressing his hip away, and for a moment he is. He's also getting cross-faced here. Anyone has ever, look, if you ever want to escape someone from side control, people are always like, you see white belts come in, how do I get out of side control? Okay, well, let me find out. Did you let someone do this to you? Uh, yeah. Okay, you're not going to get out of side control. If you can control someone's head like this and their neck, there's going to be a limited mobility with what they have on their shoulders and even their waist. The spine is connected. If you're controlling the top of the spine here, the bottom of the spine is not going to be all that active. All right? So he lets go of it for different reasons. Um, you know, Tumanov at least tried to get on to a side. You know, you can see that. Now he's got his arm away from his body. That's never good, but it doesn't cost him here. But you know, these are fluid positions, and maybe 
Nelson lets it go because he wants to bang him out with an elbow. But just as a matter of recourse, if you're ever in a jiu-jitsu class and you're always like, how do I get out of side control? Right, start here. It, well, actually, let me correct that. Start by never letting yourself get here. But if you get here, start here. Uh, okay, and then there's this. We keep going. You're going to see him tripod back up. He's actually going to use this, by the way. You'll see him. Now, he does grip up here, kind of like a C-grip. Uh, I didn't get a picture of it, but you'll see him hold, close his elbow and like and like raise it as he scoops up his head to lower him back down. Like he kind of wrenches inside, pulls it, and pushes over to get him to go back down like that. You see? Uh, this is a semi-cross face, but because he's leaning into him. By the way, when you put your hand out like this on someone's hip, it's exhausting. Guys who are really good can sit to armbar right away with it. It's just It's just a real bad idea. It's fine for a second or two, three if you're feeling real, real frisky. But you do it on, on someone like Gunnar Nelson long enough, and I hate to laugh, but you do it on someone like Gunnar Nelson long enough, and he's going to make you pay. He's going to make you pay real bad. So we keep going. Now you, here's what he's doing here. See this? So what Gunnar Nelson's going to do is he's going to basically do like what's called a hip heist. It's not exactly a hip heist, but it's the same motion of a hip heist. He's going to drive that this right hip all the way down and then go back to center. What he's doing is he's trying to free this off. So the reason why this works is he's putting weight down. Tumanov's putting weight back out. So what the way he's going to get rid of this is he's essentially just going to remove his hip so there's no weight that, that Tumanov can put into it. So he's going to sink his hips in and then back down. And you notice the left hand no longer works because you're you're rotating left. Excuse me, you're, yeah, you're rotating, I guess, uh, depending on your perspective, you're rotating clockwise and then counterclockwise back down. So now he's freed the position. Now, Tumanov could try to reestablish it, maybe with a, a forearm, but it's not going to work the same way. He's already gone back down. Okay? So now what is he going to do? You're going to see him free this leg so he can come to full side control. Okay? Now he's in full side control, almost like a back step pass. This, this leg was probably on the inside here, being scooped by Tumanov's left leg. Now he stepped out of it. Now look at the posture of Nelson. He's just a bow of weight on top of him. Don't think that toe is not pressing because it is. This is what you want to pay attention to is this far hip, okay? Kind of got a cross face here. Not super tight, but not great either for Tumanov. What you're going to watch is the, the left arm here. He's going to bring it up and look at the live toes here. He's pressing into Tumanov this whole time. Like, Tumanov is carrying this weight, trust me. And guys who are good like this, he's not, look, the right hip of, of, of Nelson is not on the mat. It's up off the mat. The elbow is not on the mat. It's up off the mat. He is driving weight into him. But what he's going to do here is he's not going to put his forearm straight across the hip here because that would be a dead giveaway that he's going for mount. But what he is going to do is put just enough pressure there. Just enough. You see that? Just enough to keep his leg open at an angle. Rather than having his knee up a little higher, he's going to put it down just a little bit. Cross face, live toes, live toes, live toes, hip off the ground. Hips off the ground so he's more mobile. And what's he going to do? Step right over on that joker right away. And Tumanov tries to raise in on it. All he winds up doing is just securing the position for uh, Nelson. One small detail. Watch what he does to the right arm here of Tumanov. He scoops it as he comes in. I'm telling you guys, you, you you don't think of things like this, you know, when you see a lot of guys take mountain MMA. Um, just every small detail he gets right. Like every, every small detail, where his hips belong, where his toes are supposed to be doing, how his weight's supposed to be distributed, the timing of everything. It's just a, it's a, when it, in this, in this fight, maybe not against Demi and Maya, but against this fight, this is, this is like flawless jujitsu. It's flawless. Um, so Tumanov rolls, he takes the back. Now you'll note he, he rolled, I believe, let me see here. 
So we have him here. So Tumanov rolls again to his right. Again to his right. And gets his back taken. So he rolled to his right, right? Meaning this side got exposed first. That's how that hook got in so far. And that's how he got the body triangle. You see that? This foot got in so far because when Tumanov rolled, this was the side he exposed first. He rotated this way from his back, right? He rotated this way, which means he opened up that side, which means Nelson slid it through as it came in. Hard to do like that um, so effortlessly, but of course, you know, you're talking about someone whose jiu-jitsu is dynamite, okay? So he gets the body triangle in. This is just a really weird sequence of hand fighting. Um, I would love to talk to Gunnar Nelson more about it in detail. I'll just show you what I saw on film, and then we can go from there. So he rotates him over to the side where you could break the body triangle this way when the foot is flat on the mat, but Tumanov, I think, is just too busy hand fighting. Nelson keeps his head close at all times. Kind of got the hand around the chin. It does not go under, and then he's got the forearm gripped. He's going to let this go. He's going to push it down and then bring it around. Okay, but Tumanov, you can see, gets there quicker. So he can't quite get it, but he's keeping this pressure in, all right? So what happens? So Tumanov creates a little bit of space. He has two on one. This is pretty good for now. It's good to survive, all right? But you notice he's not addressing the body triangle at all. I mean, he's got bigger fish to fry, but you get the idea, okay? So we keep going. Here's what happens. Nelson doesn't try a whole lot here. Tumanov's taking a breath. You can tell he's a little bit worried. But what I want you to notice is thumb on top, by the way, correctly, Nelson takes this wrist and he just kind of punches his hand through. He doesn't really try and snatch the throat. He doesn't really, not a lot of force. He just wants to be able to say, I can get my hand open, you know, pushing through like that. Now you can see the UFC of it, right? But you notice there's not a lot of other incremental progress. Like if you're Tumanov, you're thinking, well, I'm still on the wrist and I'm still on the inside of the bicep slash like brachialis forearm area. So, so this is fine. But the truth is, it's not. And this is what's interesting about it, right? It's not. So keep in mind, we're not like doing these major forceful movements. We just want incremental progress. Just incremental. And again, the wrist, you probably feel like you're safe. But you're not. So what he does is, Nelson now says, okay, I got my hand free. So what I'm going to do is, I'm going to wrench up and grab my own wrist. I'm going to pull up. Go look before. See how his elbow's kind of down here a little bit? Now it's going to come up. It's going to come up a little higher. He's going to use that free hand a little bit. And he's going to use his forearm, or well, I should say his wrist, then his forearm, then his bicep to wrench into a better position. I've never actually seen that before. You see that? And now the hand is getting buried behind the head. This is a small detail. It may not look like much. It's hard to explain. He, once he just punches the hand through, all he wants is that open hand. Because if he has that open hand, now he can do more with it just to just to incrementally slide a little bit further, wrench that choke into a position where he feels like he can get a little bit more on it. So now what does he do? Now you see him trying to bury the UFC behind the head. That would be the end of the game, basically, right? But Tumanov, smart enough, says, no, thank you, please, and go ahead, goes ahead and grabs it. This is, this is just to me like... I don't even know what the word is here. Like, Tumanov's fighting this kind of correctly, pushing up on the chin. He probably feels like there's nothing on my throat. Watch this, man. Okay, so here's what you see. He's still got the glove of... Tumanov has the glove of Nelson. Nelson just go ahead, goes ahead and frees it here. So check this out. So he just pulls his hand out all the way and says, fine. Like, I'm not, I'm not even going to try and wrestle you anymore. I'm just going to pull my hand away. And then he does this. Okay, I, I, I'm not exactly sure how to explain this. Like, check this out. He pulls his hand away, so we're not hand fighting anymore, and then he just dives it right back in. But here's where he's driving it. He's driving it 
Okay, you see this tiny little thing here. Behind, there's the red of Tumanov's glove. Look at that little U there. That's the U of the right-handed glove of uh, um, Nelson. He's going to drive it behind the hand, in between his chin, and behind the head. See this little black area here? This. Just this. I wish I could write on it. Let's see if I can write on it. Like, well, no, I can't. But you see here, just this little spot, space here. And he just digs it in. Watch. Bloop. He digs it in. You can see him straining. He just wants to dig it in behind the head. This is his own finger right here. Not quite on the bicep, but, you know, good enough. You can see the edge of his glove here. It's like the edge of his hand. He just dives it right back in. And, and watch how serene his face gets as soon as he seals the choke. I mean, now this is this is no man's land, right? Once you get it behind the head, this is no man's land. And I want to pay attention one quick thing on the choke. Look at this choke. Look at his head here, still kind of facing this way. Watch this choke. Uh, he almost, it's similar to that choke Maya had on Story. Watch, watch the head position here. Look, he's sort of head to head here. He's going to create an angle. Now, uh, this is blocked, this is blocked. So what winds up happening with the choke is, first of all, if you look here, it actually, look how far away it is, his wrist is from his ear. To me, this is a little bit on the throat, on the outside of the throat. That's one problem, so I bet he's feeling it too. You can see his ribs poking out, which means that Nelson's pressing into him, so that's horrendous, and that feels awful on the small of your back. So keep in mind that small detail too. But more than that, um, it's like, it's, it's not, when people say, oh, it's a cranking on your face, it is a crank, it's turning in direction, but it's it's more than just a collapse on top of the, sh of the chin. It's not just merely force on top of your chin. It's in and around. Look, see how it's kind of normal here? He's going to suck his shoulders back and around as he pulls in and around. Watch, again, so it's in and around. In and around. See how much more you can see his left ear? Look at that. His left ear is almost covered here. Now he's hand fighting here, and this is where he's ready to tap. You can see, but point being is, it's 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 yes, it's um, yes, it's painful on the shoulder, but I bet you feel it on the back of your neck too. I bet you feel it uh, everywhere from the jaw on down. Um, this is more than just a jaw crank. This is a jaw crank, partial choke, and partial like slight neck crank variation. Now, the, the, the crank of the neck is probably not what would make you tap. And the choke's not enough to make you tap. But the combination of all three, led by the jaw crank, is enough to get it done. And then I think that's it. He taps. Yeah, you can see here. But I mean, look at the angle. He's looking away and in. And you can see the forearm is doing all of the work. Uh, that is, uh, I don't know what you want me to say about that. That is just the most horrendous thing on earth. This must be extraordinarily painful. He must have an incredible squeeze on this position that he has practiced because he knows... He can't always get it under the chin, especially with these MMA gloves. You know, people always talk about jiu-jitsu innovation. Without having talked to Gunnar Nelson, I don't want to say he's doing this necessarily, but here's my hunch. My hunch is that he has figured out a way to crank on someone's face that is more than just blind pressure. He's got a certain kind of squeeze where he wants to rotate, or yeah, he wants to pull your chin in backwards for punishment and then twist it at a slight angle on top of the chin, not on the neck if he can't get it, because he knows with the gloves it's just a lot harder. This is something to me, I feel like this particular variety of the choke, this finish of the choke, where he's, you notice, 
This choke is sealed here, but the crank comes here, in and around. Again, I'd have to talk to him to be sure, but you know, we all say, oh, jiu-jitsu is not innovating. And in some ways in MMA, it's definitely not. In some ways, it's regressing. But my hunch here is this is an innovation he's developed that he could do to anyone in this circumstance. Even if you don't get the, even if Nelson can't get his arm under the throat, if he can get it across your jaw and he can get this particular kind of squeeze, which I'm sure is tremendous with the angle he wants, he can do anything he wants to. He can tap anybody, including someone as tough as Albert Tumanov. What a sensational job by Gunnar Nelson. Great on the feet as well. I don't want to diminish that. He had his moments there. Certainly a complete performance, but just great job chain wrestling. Great job controlling on the ground. Great job staying one step ahead of him, dominating position, and then even getting a choke with, you know, very respectable defense um, by Albert Tumanov, but just not enough against someone like Gunnar Nelson because this may have been the best performance of his career. And last but not least, let's take a look at the third segment here. Uh, what's ahead. So this is actually a big weekend in combat sports. Two major events to get to. Of course, uh, the first one I'll get to is Bellator 154. This is going to be at the SAP Center in San Jose, California, headlined by a light heavyweight, I guess, number one contenders fight between Phil Davis and Muhammad Lawal. That's definitely one of the better light heavyweight fights you can make outside of the UFC. So that should be fun. Uh, at heavyweight, the Bellator debut, Sergey Heratonov taking on Josh uh, Appelt. I can't even pronounce this guy's name. A-P-P-E-L-T. Um, at welterweight, he's already back on this card after fighting at the last, or two, yeah, no, the last Bellator event. Excuse me. Uh, did he fight at 153 or 152? Whatever the case. It was the same one as the Benson Henderson card. Evangelista the Santos takes on Saad Awad. And then Andre Fialo takes on Rick Rieger. And then the gentleman who was supposed to fight Jordan Parsons, unfortunately, uh, who obviously cannot. Um, his name is Adam uh, Piccolotti. He's taking on Ray Wood. So that's your main card. Other names on that main card to pay to everybody on the, uh, excuse me, on the prelim card. Uh, Darren Eugene Oyama's on that prelim card. Uh, Tomas Diong, the uh, Frenchman out of AKA. And then Stephanie Frausto is on that card, uh, the, excuse me, the prelim card as well. You move to the UFC card, UFC 198. This will take place at the arena, again, forgive my pronunciation, De Bachada. This will be in Curitiba, Brazil. Headlined by Fabricio Verdum, taking on Stipe Miocic. You got Jacare versus Vitor Belfort, Anderson Silva versus Uriah Hall. Chris Cyborg makes her UFC debut against Leslie Smith. Shogun versus Corey Anderson on the prelim card. Fox Sports 1, Demi and Maya taking on Matt Brown. That is sick. Uh, Vorley Alves taking on Brian Barbarina. Tiago Santos taking on Nate Marquardt. John Lineker versus Rob Font. That is a sick fight. And then you move to the Fight Pass portion of the card. Uh, Little Nog taking on Patrick Cummins. Uh, Masaranduba taking on Yancey Medeiros. Sergio Moraes taking on Luan Chagas. And then Hanato Moicano taking on Zubaira Tugugov. Um, that's it. Sick card. A lot to get to this weekend. We'll have a lot on next week's podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. If I got anything wrong, as I, I certainly did, did, I'm sure, you can let me know on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. Get at me on Snapchat, the Luke Thomas 79 And uh, guys, I appreciate you watching. Thank you so much. And until next time, enjoy the fights.